You are listening to the Golden Voice Podcast, and I'm your host, Jarvis Smith. I want to say thank you for listening to our past episodes of the Golden Voice Podcast. And if you're new to the podcast, please be sure to follow it on your favorite podcast platform and check out our past interviews with Elliot Wilson, Steve Rifkin, Slay Bells, Cam Girl, Priya Ragu, and many more. Today, we have a special bonus episode to share with you featuring a really dope special guest. Because today, we had a chance to chop it up with a guest who is most known for their time on Complex's Everyday Struggle series, providing amazing music commentary with the likes of Nadeska Alexis and DJ Academics about hip-hop. However, this guest will continue to work their way through media, linking up with Amazon Music to host such series as Rotation on Amazon Music, Unpopular Opinions on Amazon's AMP platform, and their very own series Connected, which is on Twitch, powered by Amazon Music as well. But... I'm still not done because today's guest has an amazing tenure in the music industry that will lead them to become the executive vice president of A&R at Quality Control Records. If you don't know who I'm talking about, it's the New York native, Wayno. And at the time of this recording, I caught up with Wayno to speak about his upbringing on the East Coast, history working with Rockefeller Records, entry into media as an on-air personality, and so much more. So let's go ahead and get this conversation started. Wayno, how are you doing? Thank you, brother. I'm good, man. I'm actually pretty all right. I was rushing. Uh, I had to go get my food and uh, I rushed. I grabbed. I ate a little bit right before we jumped on. So I'm feeling a little bit better. It's hard for me to think if I don't eat sometimes. I feel you, man. No, no, no. You got to get it going over here, man. Most definitely. I'm a very person. You got to have at least like a yogurt or something like that to kind of start your day uh, and get, get things going over here, man. Where are you currently at right now? Are you still on the East Coast? Are you still on the West Coast? Because every time I tap in with you on your social media, I see like you're a little bit everywhere. So... <laughs> Yeah, I'm in the East Coast right now, man. Yes, sir, man. Yes, sir, dude. And, you know, that's so awesome to know that because I want to talk about your beginnings, you know, and just your come up. And I, and I love to start all my interviews here. And, you know, you have done so much interviews and so much content between, you know, Everyday Struggle and your time away from that show and everything like that. So your story is out there. But I always like to start in the beginning to know just people's beginnings and how they got their, their career started, how, they, how their lives began. So just going back to your hometown, to your childhood, what were some of the things that you remember about growing up in your area growing up on the east coast for you oh man um well the biggest misconception about me is that you know i am a harlem guy but everybody thinks i was born and raised there i actually wasn't born in harlem i was born in the bronx and um i was raised in the bronx um you know i i moved to maryland for one year and then um moved back to new york and uh was there you know ever since and um I mean, just just my upbringing was just like it was cool, you know. I mean, I didn't really have to want for much. I, I grew up in a very loving environment with my grandmother and my mom. My my mom and my grandmother raised me, so like I, I grew up around a lot of love, a lot of care. I was the only boy out of seven. No, let me see, five, six. Yeah, seven grandkids. Out of seven grandkids, I'm the only boy, so I was my grandmother's only grandson. So I had like you know just special bonds, and 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 I was it was only girls, you know, so. I was raised around nothing but women, so I have a um. My my upbringing was 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 uh, I wouldn't say it was difficult. It was it was challenging though because like I grew up on a block where every like all the boys like all my friends they had brothers right yeah so like all I had was my cousins so like the 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 first people I'm learning how to fight from is my older cousins and they two <laughs> girls you know what I mean so they used to beat me up <laughs> you know what I mean but um you know we we. Oh, oh, I, I could say is my me being a youth, like a, a really small child, we had each other. Like I really had a keen understanding of what family meant, you know, because we we were all around one another and 
we made the best of it. Absolutely, man. Yeah. And also, too, I learned, and interesting, too, you had a, a passion for, like, basketball. You wanted to play basketball professionally at one point, correct? I mean, yeah, but I, I think, like, for most kids growing up in the hood, that's, like, the easiest, like, place you could see yourself at. Like, for me, I, I didn't... I didn't even know what the word professional was when I wanted to play basketball. I just knew, like, I remember the first time he ever seen Michael Jordan, you know what I mean, when I was a little kid. And, and and I got a chance to watch, you know, I'm old enough to have seen Michael Jordan actually play. So, you know what I mean? I, I, I um, Identity is such a big thing growing up. And it's like, you know, seeing Michael Jordan, I was like, you know, I want to be like Mike was such a big thing. I, I wanted to be a basketball player, but I, I never really, like, took it serious. I mean, I tried to, but... A lot of things got in the way of that, of, of me even trying to understand what doing anything professional would be when I was a, a young kid. Yeah, yeah. You know, just sticking to the point you're making about MJ, I'm coming from uh, Illinois. So in the 90s as a kid, definitely that era is just, you know, I want to be like Mike, the Bulls. Everything about that time was very magical. I'm still at that time, probably like maybe, you know, I don't know, like third or second grade or whatever. So I know the atmosphere, but I, maybe I can't appreciate all the little details that, I, that I, I'm able to appreciate now as an adult. But at that time as a kid, I can definitely feel the sentiment of just like Michael Jordan being such a important figure, polarizing figure to so many kids and coming up and just, just wanted to aspire to do something great like that. And uh, maybe that's kind of like the first time when I think about it now for myself, just trying to want to do something more with your life uh, on that level of uh, magnitude or something like like what MJ was doing or something like that. That's kind of where the idea of greatness kind of came to me. So, you know, just to kind of, I can definitely understand where, you, where you're coming from, from from that one for sure. But then also, you know, you, you talked about, you know, in, in a prior interview that, I've, that I learned about, you used to rap a little bit too, right? Or you had aspirations of music like i tried it i think everybody's tried like you know like my first um like interactions with just hip-hop and all that was just like my friend my friend um omari he lived down uh, uh downstairs from me he had an older sister and like I, I have you seen you know they've been doing a lot of stuff with video music box um now so like video music box was like a show that we used to watch so like you know, we watching Run DMC and Walk This Way, and we watching, you know, just all these these different um, rappers when I was a kid, and you know, seeing the movie Juice. I, I think seeing the movie Juice, I it made me want to be a DJ. I, I didn't like, I just didn't know when I was a little kid. I just didn't. I wanted to do anything. Like I really wanted to be an astronaut when I was a little kid. Oh shit! Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, then when I was older, I wanted to. Be, like when I was a teenager, I wanted to be a quantum physicist, but I dropped out of high school, so I I never got a chance to pursue that. But um, I I uh I think anywhere I could identify myself as something I wanted to be. Like you know, um, I was raised by TV. I, I thought that Kadeem Hardison, uh, his his character on a different world, Dwayne Wayne. Like I wanted to be that too. You know what I'm saying? So I I, I rapped a little bit, but not really. Like I never really like jumped into it. Like I had a friend when I was um a friend I grew up with from kindergarten. I went from the same school from kindergarten to the fifth grade. And like I had friends who rap, you know, lunchroom, people start playing doing the beats on the table. I had friends who rap, but I never like I didn't have confidence when I was a kid. You know what I'm saying? So I, I kinda like if I would write a rap, I wouldn't say it. Or if I did say it, I like as I got older when I was a teenager, I had a friend that used to come to my house every uh afternoon after school and we would write raps together but like anytime a little cypher would be going on outside I like my man would look at me like come on say it and I would never say it because I just didn't have the confidence you know what I mean but I never really gave it a shot yeah 
Man, okay, damn, dude, it's so so interesting to 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 hear that. A lot of the things that you're saying here, you're a deep deep thinker, and you know I've seen a lot of your conversations that you had with the artists that you've spoken to, as well as just some of the interviews you've done yourself, and just kind of for you to say quantum physics at a at a young age, just like damn, I wasn't even thinking like that. I don't think I can even uh, enunciate that word or something like that. I didn't know. You know what it was? I just like school wasn't like I like school. When I was in elementary up until like junior high, like like when I graduated from elementary school, we moved to another side of town and I started the sixth grade and then we moved to Maryland for the seventh grade and then we moved back to New York for the eighth grade. So I went to different schools and shit and, and I went to, um and I had different friends. So it was like, I, but the only subjects I said that to say this, like the subjects that always kept me intrigued. Um, when I was a kid was like science. Like I, I really love science and I love history. My dad was a big history guy. He used to always tell me about stuff, whether it was his own history or history he knew. And he used to watch the history channel a lot. So like history and science was always a thing for me. And then like, I think I just really, all I never had a, a science teacher that wasn't cool. You know what I mean? So like all my science teachers was always cool. I used to watch Big Bill Nye, the science guy and all that stuff. So I would, um, you know, like I started looking into things and, and, and when the things that I wanted to learn, I wanted to learn about like space anatomy and all that when I was a kid. So it's like when I became an adult, that's what I figured out. It was I wanted to be a quantum physicist. You know what I mean? Like I didn't know that when I was a kid, but like once I got old, I'm like, oh, this is what I wanted to do when I was a kid, but I didn't even know what it was. You know what I'm saying? So so now just knowing your deep background and just your, your come up here, I'm kind of curious to know more about just your musical interests and maybe the artists you were listening to, as well as, you know, as a teenager and stuff like that. What were some of those artists that are really piquing your interest and capturing capturing your, your ears at that time? Like by the time I got to fifth grade is when I started to buy music on my own, right? So like, I, like I remember... Um, like one of the first, the first CD I ever had was MC Light. I can't remember what album it was, but I used to love MC Light. Like, I, like I was when I was a little kid, I thought she was the prettiest woman on the planet. You know what I mean? So, like, I loved MC Light a lot. And then, um, I would listen to like, uh, like the first two albums I ever bought, like tapes I bought was Wu Tang Clan, Into the Thirty Six Chambers, and um, Lord of the Underground, uh, Lords of the Underground. I brought they they album because Chief Rocker was such a big a big record when I was a kid. I used to hear it on the on the um radio like um Pete Rock and CL Smooth, um a lot of stuff. Like I actually one of my little cousins, my youngest cousin from my aunt, I, I nicknamed her Mecca from this song called Mecca and the Soul Brother. Cause when she was born in nineteen ninety and I remember like when that song used to always come on when she was a kid, she used to always like dance. So I used to I, like I still to this day her name is Jada, but I call her Mecca because of that. Because of Mecca and the Soul Brothers, so it's like um, Poor Righteous Teachers, J. Rooted Damager, Grave Diggers. Like I, I, I was a a real hip hop like outcast. Like by the sixth grade, I think the outcast outcast put out um Seven Player Listed Cadillac Bumping Music. They put that album out. Um, Goody Mob. Um, by the time I was a teenager though, like I started listening to that's when like uh I was a big Wu Tang fan, but um like the Locks, you know what I mean, like Locks. The Locks is my favorite group of all time. Um, Wu Tang is too, but like the Locks just got a little bit more of an edge on them for me, only because like I um their music really raised me and gave me like principal value when I was trying to navigate myself as a youth in the street, you know. So um the Locks, Mace, ah uh, man, Mace, let me tell you, bro, Mace. I actually spoke to Mace for the first time like formally, like a friend introduced us recently, 
like I know who he is. Of course, he knows who I am. But like when I was a kid, Mace was like a real life superhero. You know what I'm saying? So Mace was a big Cam, of course. You know what I mean? And then when I get older, diplomats, like you know. But I listen to a lot of different stuff. And then West Coast artists, I listen to. I love Dog Pound, um, Snoop, Rage. Fucking man, I used to listen to Slim Cutter Calhoun, you know what I mean? Like from Atlanta. <laughs> yeah. I listen to like Crucial Conflict, bro. I remember yeah. I seen yeah. I saw Crucial Conflict in New York when I was a kid one time in a video arcade. Um, Cause Hey in the Barn was such a big record. You know what I mean? Bone Thugs. Man, I could go on for days, bro. <laughs> hey, yeah, no, nah, no, nah, dude. This is so deep. I, I I love it so much, man. And just to hear that, you know, uh, and just sticking to the locks, how important was it for you to see the verses uh, with the locks, you know, going against Diplomat? How, 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 how did that mean to you, especially just the way the locks came and just put on that performance of theirs? What did that mean to you, Wayno? I got a lot of, I wouldn't say flack, but like, like, you know, I was born in Harlem. I mean, I was born in, in the Bronx and all that, but I grew up in Harlem from like my from the time I was twelve. I moved to Harlem when I was twelve, up until being an adult. So like, I'm I'm a Harlem guy. I would never, but I'm a Bronx kid too. But the locks, I, as soon as they said that they was going against the locks, I said they're not going to win. Like diplomats is not beating no locks and nothing. And a lot of people was like, "But ain't you from Harlem?" And I'm like, "Yo, the locks." See, Dipset became a thing end of like when I was like 19 diplomats was a thing like it became a thing the locks was bro the first time I heard the locks I was like 10 or 11 on because on, uh Diddy Puff Daddy used to do um these 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 um the bad boy mixtapes with um DJ Doop. I think Ron G did one before but like DJ Doop used to and they used to have exclusive freestyles on them and, and the first time I ever heard you'll see was on a bad boy mixtape so like the locks was such man. Listen, I was watching that versus bro. Everything word for word, everything, bro. Like every, it's like the, the locks is such a part, a big part of my 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 teenage years. Like I have a friend who had passed away, and me and my a few of my other friends, like he passed away like about shit about 14, 15 years ago. But he was a big locks fan too. So we always just we was reminiscing about like how much he would have loved it. It was just. It was special, man. Like it was a special moment for New York, but like just me growing up as a Locks fan as a kid, that shit was amazing, man. For real. Yeah, you know what? I, I for me, I learned so much more about the Locks watching that verse. Cause I remember them in high school where, you know, of course Styles P and Jada Kiss as solo artists and stuff like that, especially Jada Kiss with Rough Riders and everything like he was doing there. But you know, I, I didn't get a full appreciation of the Locks uh music until much later, especially uh, basically coming around this time of this verses and just seeing, you know, the showmanship, the 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 Craft that they have for their work and their and their and their performance and just just their delivery and their artistry as a, as a whole is like you cannot deny the the locks at all. And I I'm not gonna lie, bro. That's what I'm saying. It's like see Wu Tang Clan. I was a, I'm a big karate movie fan. You know what I mean. So when I was a kid, I grew up in an era where everybody thought they knew karate when we was little kids. So like Wu Tang Wu Tang Clan was like big because of karate influence and then like. You know, then they had they had fire shit. Like, you know what I mean? I feel like damn near everybody on Wu Tang Clan has either made a classic or close to, you know what I mean? If they haven't, I mean, of course, Ghostface, Meth, um, Raekwon, ODB, Jizza got a classic, you know what I mean? Like, so, so they mean a lot to me, but I didn't understand their music because it was just like rap to me. Like, not, and not saying, I'm not saying it to dismiss them. But I didn't understand what they were saying because when when a lot of that music came out, I was a little kid and I hadn't like 
really stepped outside it, so to speak. So I didn't really understand a lot of the stuff that they was talking about. When the locks came out and it was like the mid nineties, I, I started high school in 96. You know what I mean? I graduated from junior high in 96. I got in high school in 96 and it was like, it was very real outside. Now I got to go to, I, I mean, I was walking to school by myself, but now I'm dealing with different, I moved to a different town. That's when we moved to Harlem. I'm dealing with different emotions, different people. And a lot of the stuff that the locks talked about was how my everyday went as far as what I seen when I stepped outside. So like that music just penetrated on, on a deeper level for me because like I understood a lot of the shit that they were saying because now I'm, I'm trying to find myself as a teen and like they, they, they in their 20s, you know what I mean? And they explaining shit from their perspective as teens and it's not that far off from me. You know, and I mean, one of the greatest things in my life is me, I have a relationship with all of them now. I'm about to say, have you had a chance to meet them? That's dope. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the locks. I mean, you know, I used to manage Dave East, you know what I mean? So all them records that you ever seen with uh, 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 Arizona with Dave featuring Styles, like I, I introduced Dave East to Styles P, you know what I'm saying? I introduced Dave East to Jada Kiss and the, and the Sheik, you know what I mean? So uh, like if you go back to when the locks dropped an EP in 2014, producers I was managing at the time had produced one of their singles, Davis, in one of their videos. That's because of our relationship. You know what I mean? And we had like Jada Kiss on his, on I think it was the Ignatius album. He shouted out Triangle Offense, my company on the album. You know what I mean? So it's like, it comes full circle. Actually, I kind of mentor sometimes Jada Kiss's son, Jay Wan. You know what I mean? Um, so we we got a, a a tremendous respect and love for one another, and, and I'm grateful for that. And now this big brings me to my next question as I'm going to segue here, and that's going to be your journey into the music industry, because it's so interesting to, to hear you have these relationships, that you manage Dave East and all these things, because you started your, you started out in the mailroom. You started in the mailroom uh, at, at, a, at a music company that you didn't realize it was the music company to start out of, or that that had just so happened to have Def Jam Records and, and Murder, Inc., and as well as Rockefeller records right so i'm kind of curious to know how do you how do you how does that start for you right now how, how do you remember those days where you're starting out in the mailroom just getting your start in the industry and not realizing where you're at and now to where you are right now if you don't mind taking me back to just your beginnings in the music industry what was that all and what, what did that all mean to you and what do you remember the most about that time my introduction into um into into the, this industry that i'm in you know it came from just trying to figure out, you know, what I was going to do in my life. Like I had dropped out of high school and, um, you know, my mom was just really big on like, yo, if you're not going to go to school, you have to do something. Like you can't just sit around in the house while I go to school. I mean, I go to work for eight hours and your sister at school and I come home and I'm cleaning and cooking. So she was like, yo, you got to find a job. And and I tried GD schools and all that. It wasn't working. So when I got that mailroom position, Prior, I had saw the movie backstage, you know what I mean? And when I saw that movie backstage, it just, it just, I just seen, remember me talking about identity earlier, and it's like, I just seen, like, I seen Tata, and I was like, like, I, I, like, I, I used to try to rap, it wasn't working, but I used to, I seen Tata, I was like, maybe I could be Tata. I seen Lenny S. And at the time, I didn't know none of these people. I see Lenny S. I'm like, maybe I could be him. I got braids at the time. I see Skane. Skane is DJ Clue's manager. Maybe I could be Skane. You know what I mean? I just started. So so when I had first got that job and I was in that building, it was like, it was kind of like a, I wouldn't even say it was a dream come true because I didn't even know what the dream was. I just knew like the people that I had seen on the big screen and I used to read their names in the credits, I now see them every day. 
So I was just like, you know, I was in the mailroom. I wasn't when I was in the mailroom, I didn't do nothing, you know, I didn't do anything um in in uh music. I just was I, I just built I was I was always like a people person though. Like my mom took, my mom raised me to be very respectful. So anytime I came around, I always got like welcoming gestures or, you know, welcoming um energy because I just was I was respectful. I asked anybody if they needed help and um I would help out um Omieli McIntosh who ran Jay-Z's fan club. Um I would help out from time to time after work with shipping stuff. And you know, I had I knew her and then upstairs Dara was her sister. I think she was like the manager at Rockefeller. I would have to bring into office mail to her. So it was just me making my rounds. And then, you know, eventually I got fired from the mailroom. And when I got fired, it's back to square one. It's like, what you going to do with yourself? I was working at a sneaker store in my neighborhood um, for a little bit. And then I just, one day I just made a decision and I was like, yo, I can't, I was, I can't work in no sneaker store. I was so I just told I hit my homegirl, um Shari. Um Shari, she's now like currently the, the president of Rock Nation. But at the time she was um an assistant to an assistant at Rockefeller. And I just I called her one day and I was like, yo, can I come to the office and help out? I'll do anything, like whatever y'all need me to do. Like I I'll do whatever y'all whatever you tell me to do, I'll do it. And um, you know, I, that's what, what gave me my start. Now as far as like me, um what I remember, I just remember like initially when I got into being in the office, I didn't even know what an intern was. You know what I mean? I just was in the office and I just remember just not doing anything. Like I just was sitting around, like, you know what I mean? It was it was boring. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like well, I mean, I can't knock it because now, you know, I, I I have offices and, and kids sit around and I know sometimes they might be bored, but like you just never know when you're gonna be called on for something. So like I just was sitting around and and then one day like you know, I, I tried to insert myself in a lot of stuff I shouldn't have though. Like I was doing, a, I was doing too much as a kid, but I was just a kid. You know, I'm. It's this or the street. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm not. I had a, a by the time I was 18, 19, I had a keen understanding of what the streets was because I had friends that had lost to violence, to gun violence. I had friends that that was going to prison when I was eighteen, so I knew I didn't want to. I knew I knew what was gonna happen if I didn't find something to do. That's why I was willing to do anything. I was like, I'll do whatever is going to keep me out the street. And that's that's such an important thing too, because it's like when you when you're when you're in moments like that, when you're in like when you're in the room, as they say, or in the building or whatever, you're just getting your start, you're just being so open to so many things. But you know, that story that you're sharing is so much similar to a lot of the people's story here at Golden Voice, where we all come from so many different backgrounds. We get our foot in the door to kind of start for a company like this, to get a part of a festival like Coachella or whatever, and we just maybe playing the smallest role that we can play. But then as we kind of mature and grow and go on, we get more involved, but we take on whatever we can take on and kind of get our start. And I think that's that's like the big thing that, you know, a lot of people are curious about. How do you get your start in the music industry? What's that, you know, entry level, quote unquote, role, right? Sometimes that entry level role is not what you think it is. It may not even, it, it may not, they may not have a name for it, you know? It's just literally just you doing what you just did, you know, 
contacting someone, let them know that you want to do anything. You're open to do anything. Let me just get started. You're not putting a label on it. You're just being there and being in the atmosphere and kind of just soaking in all that all that knowledge and what's happening in that room and within that environment. And I think that's kind of where it all goes from there. Uh, and getting getting your start and getting that that beginnings. And, and I'm just curious to kind of to stick to your time at Rockefeller too, because you had a chance to connect with the Young Guns. You had a chance to connect with Benny Siegel and the whole entire state property movement. You know uh, what what was that? How did that connection begin? What was that like for you? You know, getting introduced to them and beginning to work with them because you almost became or you did become like their day to day manager uh, for like you know the Young Guns and and Benny Siegel and state property, correct? Well. I wouldn't say I um I became the the uh the day to day manager because I I didn't I didn't really have that responsibility I had responsibility but I didn't like so the thing with them was like they wasn't really Beanie Siegel was already Beanie Siegel he was already like by the time I met him he was already on his second album um Freeway was a new artist he hadn't put out an album when I first got there. He was still, I, I got there before Freeway made what we do. Like it's like when they doing the, the first state property album is when I came around. And um, like the thing with them is that I just, I, I, I feel like because I didn't ever live in, like even though I, I, I grew up in Harlem, like I moved around a lot. I was a loner, you know what I mean? Like as a kid, I was a loner. So like, I always, I never really conformed to one way of thinking or one way of like just doing things because I, I just would, I had a lot, being the only child for 10 years, I had my, I was in my thoughts by myself. So I didn't really like have a culture of being just one way. Right. So I say that to say like when I went, when the first time I ever heard the Philly artists, I thought that they was like better than anything I had ever heard. You know what I'm saying? Like, like first time I heard them. I'm like, wow, like, like the like it reminded me of the locks, but just in a different space because they got different voices, they got different slang, they they look different, you know what I'm saying? So I was attracted to how they um how they 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 delivered their music, right? So sitting in the office, I'm just like, yo, how can I help? I'm just thinking like, yo, what can I do? What can I like how can I help? So I had um and I had said this on No Jumper, I had contacted Beanie Siegel's mom and I had told her, you know, that I, I was an intern and I wanted to help out. And and she wasn't like taken back by me reaching out what I thought she was. She was just like, yeah, like, you know, you should because she was Beanie Siegel's manager. So, you know, um, she just told me to go around them and I had, they already seen me a few times, but I started going around them and, um, you know, Again, I'm very young. I'm a teenager. You know what I'm saying? So like, being a being around them, I just was like, you know, what what can I contribute? You know what I'm saying? And as the time grew, you know, when I first got around them, again, I wasn't doing shit. I wasn't doing nothing. I just was around them. You know what I mean? And then, you know, when you first get a, when you first come into a room and you young and you know, ain't nobody really taking you serious. Ain't nobody really looking at you. Like I could think back to everybody that was older than me at that time, and nobody ever looked at me serious like because I was a kid. I, I I had great I feel like I had great ideas and great um just great ideas that I wanted to share but nobody took them serious because I, I never done it. You know what I'm saying? So um as time went on I, I got closer to the guys, you know, um 
and um, I grew a relationship. Like me, Chris, and Neef, like we all we months apart in age. You know what I mean? Like the the young guys, we we months apart in age. So I I was with them mostly because we would like to say we the same age. You know what I'm saying? So we um I built a relationship with them, and that led to me like handling like being a personal assistant at some times, doing A and R work for them at some times. We just was doing stuff, you know, we didn't know exactly what it was and we, we had some success, you know what I'm saying? We sold some records and and then Beanie Siegel, you know, when he had um he had caught his uh, his um his his attempted murder charge um and his gun charge, he he needed somebody to be there with him um on a day to day and I was just like I didn't have nothing to do. So I was like, I'll do it. You know what I'm saying? And I just spent a lot of time around beans and, and I not only was it just work, it was like, you know, I I gained a, a brother, you know, I built a brotherhood with these guys where I, I 20 something years later, I still got relationships with them. So, you know, it was, it was, it was very interesting to say the least, but you know, we made through that tenure, I worked on um, the Becoming album. I worked on um, Young Guns mixtapes. I worked on the State Property Chain Gang album. I worked on the Young Guns album. Um, I didn't, I wouldn't necessarily say I worked on Freeway's Philadelphia Freeway album, but I was around for every moment. I was, I was in there the first time they played what we do, and and Jay wasn't on it. You know what I mean? I was, I was in there the the, the first time um, Kanye did uh, turn out the lights on there. I was in there when when Freeway did you got me with Mariah Carey. You know what I'm saying? So I was around for a lot of these different things, and and it, and that experience helps me today. Man, so I gotta ask because uh, I was I was I was really doing my research. I was like, man, I wonder because I know he said he was around the young guns. Was he in the can't stop? Won't, were you in the can't? Were you there at the video shoot for Can't Stop Won't Stop? Were you just in the atmosphere for that one? I was there. I mean, it's this video that it's it's a video that uh it's on. It's I was on his first Smack DVD ever. Smack had came there. He came to the Can't Stop Won't Stop video shoot, and it's like this freestyle with Beanie Siegel. He's like, you know, he's he's a little. He was a little groovy that day, you know what I mean? And, and Petey Crackers freestyling, and, and I'm in that video, and people always say, well, what was y'all like? We was at the Can't Stop, Won't Stop video. I wasn't actually in that video. Um, I didn't, like, I would get in videos from time to time, but, like, sometimes I would, like, every time I got in a video, I would always hear to the grapevine, like, why he getting in the videos? Like, he's supposed to be working, you know what I mean? So I would fall back, and then, like, when, when Chris and Neef would be like, yo, why you ain't getting in the video? You know what I mean? And then I would get in the next one. You know what I mean? But I was only, I was only in a few videos. I was in the um the state property criminal background video. I was in the uh one fifty crack video. Yeah, I think I was that was it. I was I wasn't in too many of them. Okay, man, that's what's up, man. Yeah, that means to me that video can't stop won't stop is iconic uh for me just because that's in the era when you know BT playing 106 in Park and music videos were big budget, very important uh to to drive the promotional of the album and the new single. And like that was I just remember seeing that video. I was like, damn, that song is dope. The video was dope. Um and and just just phenomenal for that one. But then also, too, I gotta ask, do you have an acting credit? I didn't get a chance to see this movie, but are you in state property too? I didn't I I never are you were you involved in that production? Were you there for the shooting of that film? Yeah, I was I was I was um and I ain't involved in no production. I'm in the video, I'm in the movie though. Like I'm I'm in the movie. Um, but I didn't I, yeah, I think I I I think I, I'm an extra in the movie. Like I didn't get um basically um I was just I was on set while they were shooting it, and then one of the producers came in the in the um came in the trailer. And I was sitting in and it was like, yo, you want to be in a movie? And I'm like, all right. And it's like, we're going to pay you. So I was like, all right, cool. So 
you know, I, I went in the trailer, you know what I'm saying? Like I went in the trailer and um I mean I I didn't go in the trailer. I left the trailer, we we shot a scene and that was it. I got paid like three hundred dollars for it. It was cool. Now it's just a cool, like a fun fact, but I didn't like I wasn't involved in nothing around that time, you know what I mean? Yeah, still, man. No, those are just I think when I think about Rockefeller and I think about that time, you know, coming up in my in my era, man, just that that label meant so much to me. So much history between the clothing line, the music, the films. All that stuff was like a very important. To, I was always tell people my favorite stories in music about people's starting points are, are, are Rockefeller records, the origins of how Rockefeller got started, you know, and, and just so to hear someone like yourself who had a lot of those experiences, you know, I'm kind of nerding out, just kind of wanting to know those maybe those little details about state property too and all these other things like that, man. So it's it's dope to kind of just hear a little bit of backstory about that. And now, you know, you know. Thinking about all your experiences at Rockefeller, right? You know, of course, we know that things ended between the uh, the the breakup and the partnership between Dame and Jay Z, and um, you know, but but I'm kind of curious to know, you know, for you, what lessons have you taken away from that experience being a part of Rockefeller Records that you still carry with you to this day when you think about your career right now? Just uh, learning how to be professional, you know, um, work being at Rockefeller was such that was a dream come true, you know what I mean? Like I grew up a Jay-Z fan and by the time I got around them, Jay-Z was Jay-Z and you know, it just was like just the professionalism. It's like a in between all these stories I'm telling you, there's tons of moments where I have conversations with Jay or Dame or Biggs or I'm just in a room where they're speaking and I get to hear, you know, gems so some would say that's dropped and you know I, I get to see them execute business moves. It's like um I was in the studio the day when when Jay came in the studio, me and young Chris, and he told he told him that he was gonna be an owner of the Nets. You know what I'm saying? So it, it just showed me identity, you know what I'm saying? So it's like just be, be putting myself in a position where I could be around that type of that type of energy, that type of um trust, that type of um camaraderie. What I learned was is like no, nothing's impossible, you know what I'm saying? Like I saw that and I was like, damn, like, like I was really around some legendary shit. So it's like what I carry today is that like I'm I'm building that for my own self in in in, in my path in my career to be able to put people on, you know what I mean? Because when like I said, like when my number was called, I was I was there, and you know now I'm in positions where I call on other people's numbers, you know what I'm saying? So. That that's basically it. Like I I, I learned how to become a, a real professional being around those guys. Yeah, and then too after this time period, you would leave. Um, you know, then you would eventually go on to manage Dave East during this period, and you had that amazing run with Dave East and just the the, the amazing highlights you have with him. But then after Dave East experience, you would then go on to become. You start to step into the media world, which you know, as you've always said in, in a lot of your interviews, where this is so new to you, you never thought you would even be in in this world, being a media personality, being the one that's on TV with the with the mic in the hand, asking questions to artists and stuff like that and uh you know now when you think about your journey as a media personality right you know during this earlier start of your career you know what what was that like for you kind of stepping into it because everyday struggle for like myself and maybe a lot of others that was our first introduction of you Wayno, and just knowing who you are and, and learning more about you 
But as you were stepping into this this world, did you feel like this could be like a new thing for me after having your experiences at Rockefeller, after having your experiences at Dave, with, with being the manager of Dave East? Was this like, yeah, this media thing, though, this is maybe new to me uh, or whatever, but like, I think I could see myself doing this. This could be like a new pathway for me. Did it feel like that for you in the beginning? Nah, like it, it didn't only because it's like, I always say this. Cause I I don't never I never call myself a journalist because I don't want to disrespect the craft. I feel like journalism is a craft. You know I didn't I didn't go to school for communications. I didn't go to school to learn journalism, and I kind of you know I jumped to the front of the line. You know when when they put me on that show, and I didn't I I, I never I never intended on that. I never planned on it, and when I first got on it, it was just like a hustle. It was like, oh shit, I can make some money doing this. Like, all right, cool. So I, I went I did take it serious, but I didn't like initially I didn't think it was gonna be a thing, right? So when I first start on, you know, I dealt with the um, you know, I dealt with all of the you ain't Joe Button and yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? And like I like I like trench coats too. I wear a trench coat. I'm trying to be like Joe Button. Like, you know what I mean? It's like I, I dealt with a lot of a lot of bullshit with it, yeah. and I didn't um, I didn't um think it could be a thing. But again, it's like you know, I remember I had a a conversation with academics, and I, he said this on on Flagrant too, on, when he did with with um Andrew Schultz, he was saying how one day he told he said something to me, and he's right, you know what I mean? This is a fact. Like he said something to me, like yo, I think that you got your own kind of space in this shit. You could be doing stuff outside of this, and when academics told me that, I was like, I kind of took it. I, I took it serious, you know what I mean? Because like he had been, you know, I, I, everyday struggle was the first time he had ever done media, but he had been doing like commentary, you know what I mean? So the thing about it is, is like I'm I'm good at adapting. Like if you put me in any situation, good or bad, I'm gonna learn how to. I'm I'm gonna figure out how to handle it. So I um I started to learn. I started to say like. Cause I, when I was a kid, I used to read like, bro, I still have my, like my mom has this bin, right? I just went through it. She has this bin with like all my magazines from the early 2000s and the nineties. Like I still, so I used to read a lot. Like I would read about all these different people. Like, so, so I was like, okay. So in order for me to talk to artists, I gotta, if I don't know who they are, I gotta learn who they are. So that's when I started kind of taking the journalism thing. I, I feel like after the first like after the first year and a half, but the first year I did it, I would I started doing it, and then like Complex asked me like, "Yo, uh, we need somebody to do Made in America." I think Speedy was supposed to do it, but he couldn't do it, and they was like, "Yo, we need somebody to do correspondence at Made in America." I was nervous as I don't know what, bro. I remember but, seeing clips of that, yeah, yeah. But I did it, and then like I remember uh, seeing Elliot Wilson and B Dot, who I got great relationships with because you know me doing management when I had Dave. Like we did the Rap Radar podcast. Me and Dave both did it with them. Like, uh, I was like, man, like Beat, I was a good friend of mine. He was like, man, you back here taking people jobs. You was just you was back here a couple years ago with your artists getting interviews done. Now you doing the interviews, so it just was, you know, it was eye opening. I didn't really think it could be a thing because it was just like a hustle, and I never really wanted to be known. Like I didn't, I never wanted my name to be in lights. But you know, um, as I grew with it, you know, I one of the main, the biggest people I had to cheer me on through this time was my dad. And my dad, um, I got the same name as him. You know what I mean? And my, my dad, like, 
every time he saw me do something, he was like so super excited. So it, it made me like he boosted me. You know what I mean? Like he would tell me, like I would tell him, yo, I'm about to talk to this person. He'd be like, yo, I watch when you talk to Birdman and da 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 da. And it would just, I was like, oh shit, I could really do it because it was like now I got my dad in my corner telling me how how good I am. You know what I mean? So then I started taking it a little bit more serious. But it, it, it's been, I still, I I I just I don't I, I did an Instagram live uh, the other day and I was just saying like you know. I don't think people understand how 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 hard it is to to talk for a living. You know, um, it, it it seems easy, but like essentially, my my job is to speak. So I gotta learn um, new delivery. I gotta I gotta study words. You know what I'm saying? I have to study words, new things to say. I have to study people, and I gotta have something to say that I didn't say every time I speak. So it's like it's is is it gets a little bit overwhelming where I question. Is this really for me? Cause I never wanted it. You know what I mean? But but I, I would say that it's it's been a it's been a dope journey. I I think that I know for a fact that me being on that platform everyday struggle opened me up to a lot of people who never knew me and it it gave me a lot of respect that um not saying that I wouldn't have gotten, but a lot of people weren't exposed to me because I was a behind the scenes person. So it kind of opened up the field for people to say, Oh, that's Wayne, or I rock with him because he he's one of us, so he stands for us, so he speaks for us, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's the feeling I got. Like you fit in so well when I saw you come on just as a special guest on Everyday Struggle in the very beginning. You know, you fit in so well with the rest of the team, with the rest of your co-hosts and uh, your potential co-hosts or future co-hosts for that matter. And just hearing the way that you, you know, really talked about the the business side of things, but then also you were very good at debating and jumping in on the topics. You seem like a relatable, real person um, that that you would see at, at your store, at your barbershop or whatever, you know, at, at the at the family gathering or whatever talking about their experiences or whatever. And that's what it seemed like. And, and it just gelled so well. So the transition of adding you there didn't feel like, oh, who's this, you know, trying to copycat Joe Budden or whatever. Uh, to me, at least, you know, to me, it was just like, this makes sense. It, it fits. This piece fits to kind of continue on everyday struggle um, and, and continue to see where, where where they go and grow together overall. Now, of course, we know that the show has uh, come to an end, but then you would still go on to do so much more in the space of media and, and just hosting uh, between, you know, creating your own podcast, of course, joining up with Amazon Music and everything like that. You know, when I think, when you when you think about everything that you're, you're doing now currently, like when you, when you think about longevity, like right now in this, like how does that feel to you? What, what does longevity look like to you? Is it, you know, maybe linking up with a, with a media network and doing like something like that? Or is it just continue to produce your own content independently or, or linking up with more brands and companies like Amazon or what have you? What does that look like to you now? Honestly, man, like, I ain't, I ain't gonna lie, bro. Like, I don't want to be, um, I like, I like media, but like, I, I watch, like, you know, of course, you seen with like Charlemagne and, and Charlemagne is a good friend of mine, and, and like, you know, I, I'm cool with Joe. And remember, like, the whole thing they went through last year, and like, you know, own having a network and what's the network, and you know, owning one versus being on one, and, and like. Honestly, that when I watched that <laughs> that whole tenure, I was like, I don't want to be <laughs> like I don't want to be, you know what I mean? Like one of them in the sense of like you know they're both very successful, but I'm just saying it's like what they fighting for, like like they want to you know it's kind of like being an artist, right? It's like some artists just want to be artists, and then there's artists that say that they're CEOs, and, and it's a lot of responsibility to be a uh, um a, a CEO and 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 um run a company. And for myself, it's like, 
what I learned, I had a friend tell me one time that I need to be in the Wayno business, right? And I didn't understand what he said. I'm like, what you mean? He was like, he said, you always got to be in business of yourself so that no matter what's going on between this company and that company, you could always make money off of yourself. So for me, I feel like longevity for me is, is like, um, you know, um, I, I'm, I've, I've gotten back into music and like, um, in 2022, I have a very, very beautiful situation that once it's announced, people really going to understand, like, not not to take nothing away from who I am in media, but I'm a music person first. I, I like, I, I feel like when I got into media and I, you know, I became the, the vice president of Asylum Records as well, you know what I mean? And, and when I got that job, people thought that I was like this media guy that was trying to get into music. And it was the other way around. I mean, I'm a, I was a music person first. Like I worked on albums um, before I was even 21 years old. I, I I got I worked with artists. The Young Guns got nominated for a Grammy for Can't Stop Won't Stop. I was in the studio session. Me and my man Ramses were talking with Six Figure Digger and got the CD that had the Can't Stop Won't Stop beat on it. You know what I'm saying? So I did all of these things at a very young age, and then I I had the success with a Davies. You know what I mean? Building him from an artist that, you know, at one point in time, not many people knew uh, uh, t- to him being an artist that sold out shows in Japan and and did a g- amazing deal with Def Jam. You know what I mean? That got us both out the hood. And um, even when I went to Asylum, like I did, um, you know, I I worked with Sada Baby and, and we got a gold record off a whole lot of choppers, did the remix with Nicki Minaj. And it was a, a, a great moment. And um. When people see my next situation, they really gonna understand who I am in this music game, and, and I'm not taking nothing away from the from the from the um media side because it's a part of it as well. But like, they going like, bro, I'm, <laughs> they going. Listen, this is one of them situations, bro. Like for real. So so I'm really excited about my future in the sense of what, the space I'm moving in when it comes to music because that's my number one passion. You know what I'm saying? And um. I'm 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 a show and prove because I've been able to do it in everything I've done. Man, I love it. It just uh, it sounds uh oh, man, I'm excited just hearing you say that. Listen, I'll tell you this, Jarvis, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. It's gonna be an oh shit moment. Like, you know, I'm 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 waiting, I can't wait till Friday so I could go see uh Spider-Man No Way Home because I'm such a uh, I'm a big comic fan and I'm a big moment fan, and I know that movie is gonna have so many moments, and I feel like for myself <laughs> When people see when when what comes out what I've been working on over the past year, and where I'm going to, when people see that it's gonna be one of them oh shit moments in hip hop. Like it's gonna be one of those. So, you know, I would just say that I appreciate everybody who's who's um because it takes a bit like you know that term it takes a village to raise a child. Like the village has been tons of countless mentors and countless people who may have only come into my life for shit a year or been in my life that have all contributed in one way or another to my drive uh, uh that I have for success so when 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 um this new uh this new tenure I go on it's it, everybody knows about it they're going to be like okay like you know what I mean like all right like because you know one of the main things that I I love to t- the reason why I love telling my story constantly and I'm happy the way we got to tell it today because it's different aspects that I added. Um I want anybody who 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 may hear this or, you know, um 
get a quotable from it or whatever to understand that like, yo, if you got a dream, you can really turn that shit into something if you apply the the the, the right amount of um time, get the right amount of sleep and 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 have the courage, you know what I mean? Cuz that's something that I didn't always have to have the courage to put yourself out there and 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 um make something of yourself is a beautiful thing. So I I want people to to be able to look at that and be like, "Wow, Wayne really did it. He really did it." You feel me? You know, from all your experiences, right? in the industry, right? And and everything that you've ever done. You 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 have a lot of great quotables and a lot of great quotes. And one of my favorite ones from you is it's nobody's business to teach you business, right? I love it when you say that because it's very true. So but just if you could maybe give a little bit of advice for up and coming artists or future people who are trying to get their start in the industry based on all your experiences in both music and media, what would be that thing that you would tell people who are going, as we go into this new year and everything like that, what would you, what would you tell that aspiring maybe artist or maybe even, you know, behind the scenes, you know, a uh, person who wants to be in the same role that you're in, Wayne, what advice would you give them? So the, when I always say that quote, it's nobody's business to teach you business. The reason why I say that is that when I say that you have to realize that most most of the oppressed will oppress, right? So like in this in this music industry, which I feel like I've only worked like professionally in on a high level in music. I'm pretty sure that the fashion industry has its ups and downs, the food industry, et cetera. Business has like cutthroat people. Um I say that to say make sure that you educate yourself because while we um have spoken about a lot of different things today. I dropped out of high school. You know what I mean? I um I had a lot of things counting against me as opposed towards me. So I want I always want people to educate themselves. Usually when I tell people I dropped out of high school, they they don't believe me. And um that's because I, I took time to educate myself because a building don't make you smart. I'm saying like you gotta you still gotta go out there and seek knowledge. I would say that to anybody who you know wants to get in this game, whether it be media, A&R, or behind the scenes, and management, all these different things I've tried out. Um, you first have to, you first have to have a destination, right? Now, going towards that destination, the navigation, ain't no telling how you're going to get there, right? Because, because I feel like success is a, um, Success is a bar that can always be raised, right? So it's like once you conquer this one bar, it's like, well, what else can I do? It's like you try to find another, like you, you like Kobe, like he had did everything he could do in basketball, and his next bar of success was his daughter. You know what I'm saying? So it's like on your way to that destination, you have to carve out. You have to understand that you're going to have to carve out your 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 um your way to that that destination. It's like a person could ask uh, how you get in. I wish I had a I wish I had a booklet or a textbook or a quote or anything that I could tell somebody just do this, but that's impossible. Everybody has like different ways. I would say that always be resourceful um and always be available. And if you mix those two ingredients with drive and determination, ain't no telling where you can end up.
Phenomenal, Wayno. I mean, you just hit the nail on the head right there. The, you talk about the intangibles. You talk about the the process. You talk about those humble beginnings. And honestly, I really just love to know that you started out as a person seeing a lot of things through TV, and then eventually you became one of the people on the TV screen. That is a very special and amazing journey and just relatable on so many different levels where if you want it, you can go get it. You just got to keep pursuing. And, and so, so Wayno, I just got to say, Thank you so much for just giving us a lot of time here for the Golden Voice Podcast and just shedding this insight about your life and your career, man. You know, uh, big shout out to Marcus just for the introduction there because, you know, this man knows knows so many different people. And so when I got a chance to interact with you a day in Vegas and just seeing you there and, uh, you know, getting a chance to link up with you for this conversation right here, it's really dope. It means a lot because I knew there was something there with that story and and, and that progression that you had throughout your life. And I think that a lot of people could take so much away from this. So, you know, I'm really excited to see the effect that this conversation that we had will have on other people, and especially with our listeners here for the Golden Voice podcast. So again, it means a lot to me and the rest of the Golden Voice team. Thank you so much for the time, Wayno. Thank you for having me, man. I, I really appreciate you know the time we spent speaking. And whenever you guys need me, I'm here. Man, what a really dope conversation with Wayno. I got to say, it was really awesome just to hear him share his story. And, and like I was saying in the ending, it really is inspiring to see Wayno basically go from a person who you know was, was big on watching TV and watching films to now he's actually on TV and everything like that and everything that he's done in his career in media and also in music. So it's a really amazing journey just to hear from Wayno's perspective and just the stories that he was sharing about, you know, his his days coming up in the mailroom, working at these these record labels like Rockefeller Records and etc. It was really cool to hear those stories from his perspective. Rockefeller Records meant so much to me, even my brother and some of my other friends from back home. So to hear those stories now up close and personal from someone like Wayno who was there to live them, that was really dope, man. So again, I can't say it enough. Thank you to Wayno for just coming to the Golden Voice podcast and giving us a little bit of his time, man. A really timeless conversation and it means so much to us over here. And of course, man, if you want to check in with Wayno, what he has going on, he has so much happening with his different projects with Amazon Music. Like I said, the Rotation series, the Unpopular Opinion series, and the Connected with Wayno series that he has. So go ahead and tap in Wayno through those different series that he has going on with Amazon Music because it is really dope to see him continue to grind and do his thing in media. But if that wasn't enough and you want to stay in tune with Wayno even more, you can tap in with Wayno on social media because I'm talking about his Instagram uh, platform, which is called Wayno119. Once again, that's Wayno119 on Instagram. That's his tag. That's his handle. When it comes to Twitter, he's definitely on Twitter. It's the same thing. It's Wayno119. Once again, that's Wayno119 on Twitter as well. And then, of course, you want to take it a step further. He's on LinkedIn as well. You just got to go ahead and type in the name and you'll be able to find Wayno right there on LinkedIn. So it really is dope, again, to have Wayno come to the Golden Voice podcast, to have this dope special bonus episode with Wayno, man. So again, definitely hope that you continue to do great things in your current role and your next moves that you make in your career. Absolutely. And now here we are in the outro of this episode. And again, you know, if you're new to the Golden Voice podcast, thank you so much for checking out the podcast. And if you're enjoying what you're hearing, go ahead and leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform, whatever that is. And if your favorite podcast platform has a comment system or, or something like that, you can leave like a little review. Please go ahead and do that because it helps us out with the visibility. It gets more new people like yourself coming to the podcast, putting eyes on it and, uh, you know, spreading that good word about the Golden Voice podcast. And if you've been rocking with us from the jump, we appreciate you so much. 
and we hope that you continue to spread that word. And of course, here at Golden Voice, we have so much happening with the shows that we put on that we promote. So if you want to stay tapped in with us, go ahead and check out our website, which is goldenvoice.com. Once again, that's goldenvoice.com to see all of our latest shows that we announced for the month of December in 2022 for our shows in 2023 and beyond. Once again, that's goldenvoice.com. But of course, for social media, we're on there as well, posting up event recaps as far as photos, videos, and other cool highlights. So go ahead and tap in with us on our social media. That's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, simply at Golden Voice. Once again, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter, simply at Golden Voice, all right? And of course, it goes without saying a major shout out to the Golden Voice podcast team. That's our executive producer, Rhea. That's our marketing coming from Carrie, Christina, and Lindsay. That's the artwork and creative coming from Saish. Saish holding it down once again. Big shout out to Saish for just coming up with this amazing artwork for this entire series. And of course, press coming from Shay and Taiji, always holding it down. And speaking of press, if you have any press inquiries for the Golden Voice podcast or for Golden Voice in general, hit us up at press at goldenvoice.com. Once again, that's press at goldenvoice.com. All right. I hope you all enjoyed this bonus episode right here. We keep things moving with the Golden Voice podcast. We're dropping episodes on Wednesdays and we're still in our current season, season two right now. So if you're listening to this in the future, this is season two that you're listening to this bonus episode on. We got some more awesome content coming for you. So until then, and we'll be back once again. And if you don't know by now, my name is Jarvis Smith. This is the Golden Voice Podcast and I'm out.